uh, uh, I keep doing this thing of forgetting to um, arrange my windows before I hit record. I only remember afterward. Stupid Maddie. Stupid, stupid Maddie. Okay. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Howdy sluts. Welcome to another episode of QBT, a podcast where two queer babes talk about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. This week, we're closing out our theme around fears, phobias, and horrors. Happy Halloween, babes. We are joined by the founders of the queer film collective, Monstrous Film Films, Emma Kogan and Hannah Mae Cumming. I am the hot, steamy sweat on the inside of Michael Myers' mask. Licensed social worker and therapist practicing in Austin, Texas, Maddie Germs. And I'm Sean. Oh my God, I don't know who I am. <laughs> and I'm Shawnee, <laughs> the friendly ghost, a former New York based therapist turned media and entertainment badass based in Portland, Oregon. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We might be therapists, but we sure as hell are not your therapists, especially on Halloween. Especially not. Okay. All okay. right. Because we don't know if you're dead or not. Isn't that the isn't Bruce Willis a therapist in the sixth sense? <gasps> is he? Is he? Allie, do you know? It feels right. I think that, you know what? According to this podcast, Bruce Willis was a therapist in the sixth sense. <laughs> Bruce Willis is also not your therapist. Let's get into it. <laughs> Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> Hi. Hi, honey. Hi, how are you? Hi, honey. Hello, hello. Um, You, wait, you either, is your birthday coming up? Your birthday's coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, my birthday is in like two days. I just had a yeah. big celebration with friends um, because it's my birthday. My old roommate, Piers, we have the same birthday. Piers is coming. My friend, Jordan, her birthday is like three days before mine. And then my friend, Darren, their birthday was like 10 days ago. But we all had like a joint celebration in October in Texas. I'm going to do a little something more low key. Tomorrow night, I'm going to a show with Allie. So yeah, it's my birthday week. It's my birthday week. Ah! Double weekends. Double weekends. I love that we are October babies. It's just literally on the opposite ends of the month. It's it kind feels of perfect, right. It feels right. right. It feels correct. It feels correct. Which Emma t- Emma says later in the episode that her birthday is. I for, I meant to like talk about that, but born oh, on, Halloween. on Halloween. Yeah, that's wild. Predestined I, in the stars. Kind of weird. Also, what is up with you having so many Scorpio friends? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. We love each other. It feels. It feels dangerous. <laughs> I mean, to you. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, that's what I meant. I don't I'm need not, to hang. We're having a great time. <laughs> this is why I'm never with all three of you in the same room. Um, so, listen, I know it's Halloween coming up. Your birthday's coming up. I want to talk about it. We've been talking about it for, like, three or four weeks. I want to okay. talk about what we don't talk about that often, music. I okay. feel like I've had some, like burning songs that I want to talk about on this podcast. Hell yeah. And we're going to do it because I'm in charge of the sub-slut. So there you <laughs> okay. go. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like we've been keeping the playlist up to date of like music we're listening to, but we haven't been talking about it that much on the right. podcast. Yeah, so y'all are probably just like, what is this song? <laughs> um, <laughs> they're all good, at least like, we think they are. I want to start off by saying um, Amber Mark is that bitch. I love her music. She's great. Like, 
I was talking to friends about this the other weekend. If you don't know who Amber Mark is, she, um, I, worth it. Um, what else does she sing? She sings a bunch of good things. She's like very much so classic R&B. In my opinion, she has a little bit of like a Sade thing going, but like on her own terms and sort of modern day. Anyway, she has a song out, sort of new. It's called What It Is. Um, and I don't know, it's good. It's one of those songs that I think it's like five and a half minutes long. And you think, what could she be singing about for five and a half minutes? <laughs> and then literally about like, you know, two and a half, three minutes in, you think the song's going to end. And then it just goes to like, it gets better. Like it's like, it just builds on itself. And there's like a guitar and like, She's just hitting notes. She, you can tell she's just really feeling the song. And I don't know. I've had it on repeat, like, for almost two weeks now. Her face is gorgeous. Oh, I, I know. Like, severe in this very, like, soft way at the mm-hmm, same time. Mm-hmm. It's, wow. She's very beautiful. Yeah. And she'd be talking about, I feel like her lyrics are pretty real. She is one of those, and we've talked about this on the podcast, like, I usually am not seeking out like ballads and like slow songs, but she is somebody that like, if she has a ballad that comes out, I'm like, I'm fully going to listen to this like with like one light on in this entire apartment and sit in a corner and just like vibe to it. She makes it, she makes me feel okay doing that. (laughs) I love it. I, I have not heard it, so I can't speak to it, but I believe you. Oh, look at me telling Um, you to go listen to something. That, that's happened before. That's happened before. That's I happened before. feel like it has not. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else let's just go back. I was going to say, do you want to go back and forth? Because I'm sure. You okay. I mean, show. LOL, because uh, <laughs> that uh, a few episodes ago, I talked about that Mitski song over and over. But that, uh, and then we've also mentioned the Lil Sex album, and I also mentioned the Casey Musgraves album. I feel like I would be lying if I still like wasn't listening to those things. But in terms of like new as well that i haven't said anything about the new arca song um arca song incendio is like it is like imagine you're at a rave imagine you're at a party Mm -hmm. and it's like 12 midnight you've been there for like a minute Mm -hmm. but you know you have a night in you and then this song comes on and it's like slightly chaotic when your drugs hit and it's like it's it's like demonic but also like um it has like such energy like to it and you just kind of want to go but also like rage at the same time it's very good arca also just put out a new song with sia i don't like that song as much but incendio is like it's peak arca it's like i don't know it's so good i like it a lot arca incendio incendio yeah are you sure okay i just want to make sure you know you're talking about a song, right? Not po- not Pokemon. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Articuno? Is that what you mean? I think RK9 is a Pokemon. Oh, RK9 is a Pokemon. And I'm yeah. almost certain that Incendio is. I honestly, just like Bruce Willis is a therapist, I don't care. I mean, Incendio's Pokemon. <laughs> Incendio's a Pokemon. Don't. Don't talk to me about it. Don't at me. I don't care. <laughs> oh, shit. I have heard this Rosalia song. It's so good. Oh, my God. Linda. Oh. Well, it's it's Tokisha. It's Tokisha's song featuring Rosalia. But they're kind of in it so. equally. Sure. I'm there for Rosalia. Um, Linda. It's such a good song. So good. Oh that my video God. is gorgeous, too. Yeah. 
Linda, Linda, Linda. Oh, so good. I feel like I've like hold some hesitation around Rosalia mainly, mainly just be- because she's Spanish, not Latinx, and she like gets like the Latino awards, and it's like you. She's from Spain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she, she's not from Latin America. But just, but that's America's fault, not her fault. Yeah, I love everything she does, pretty much. And I just, I just, I hold both of those things. The Linda song is good as shit, though. Like, oh, it's so, it's so good. good. I also had that on repeat for a long time. Actually, every song that I have on here, I, I think they're the only songs that I'm listening to. <laughs> yeah, right there might be like something that comes out between when we record this, but at the same time, I think you and I both like. I listen to songs for like a month. Mm-hmm. Like I, I very much am the someone who's like, I'm going to listen to one song all day. Yeah. And then like, it becomes part of my monthly playlist. Yeah. And then I listen to that. I, the only playlist I listen to on Spotify is like ours, but also if it's not ours, because it's pretty much the same thing is just my on repeat one. Yeah. Because I just will like, I'll pick like seven songs and listen to those seven songs for a month. And then like, next month some new songs come out and then it's my on repeat is just like the last like three months of music which makes it i have been able to map my life to like i'm just like "Mm, listen to a song and i'm like i know exactly what was going on that month because yeah i was listening to these four songs on repeat and it's also i mean god bless my friends for when they get in the car with me because they you just hear the same things it's like this playlist does not change until there's a new song out that i care about i'm not just playing new music to play new music and that's like Partially the Casey Musgraves album for me, like it's this breakup album and it's a little bit cheesy and like, I'm not like, I know you don't care, but I also, and it, for me, it's been like, for me, it's been like this kind of like album about, I've been feeling it as a breakup album with Portland in some ways, because mm-hmm. it's like not this, it's not this like middle finger kind of breakup album. It's very introspective and kind of like, this has happened and some of it was my choice and some of it not. And here's like what's coming up. And, and also just like, I think when you listen to really romantic or kind of like storytelling music, you sort of have to place yourself in it, even if it doesn't completely align with who you are, what you're doing in that moment, the way that I've come to the Casey Musgraves album is in that way. And um, I've been doing a lot of driving and it's been a very drivey album. So you're just saying I can remember where that is. I'm going to remember this summer as like that transition summer for me. And like, Listen to Casey Musgraves' new album, Driving Around. Girl, you live in Texas. Of course, all you doing is driving. That's true. That's, <laughs> yep. What else you got? <laughs> um, Lion Babe, huge fan of Lion Babe. <clears throat> Always have been. Um, so they have a song called Rainbows. That's just them. Um, and then there's a uh, Zacomo remix that I prefer over the original song. Just good. It's like the song itself is about like depression <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just about like you know shit gets rough you're like in a really low spot and like i don't know it's gray skies it's raining whatever whatever but like we just keep pushing on to like see the rainbow one day yeah so like the original song is almost like too depressing like i listened to it and was like oh i can't just listen to this lion babe like i'm gonna like be sad all the time where's the beat <laughs> where's the beat <laughs> um and then Zacomo comes with this remix and i'm like there's the beat and it's like a it's like a fun like happy bright kind of beat paired with this like 
really depressing song and it like works in a in a strange way oh yeah yeah i feel like um we talked maybe a little if maybe we didn't but charlie xcx's good ones Mm -hmm. which like that video so good very like my chemical romance etc and she's got the hair that album i feel like different from malignant in that like i actually like the content (laughs) i do feel like the the promo image of good ones is like incredible like just that promo shot is so good but i named this because uh she just came out with a joel Corey remix of that song and it's really good he's the guy who did that body remix Mm -hmm. oh yeah i I loved that remix he did another remix too that i discovered and i was like okay joel Corey, i don't know who you are but like he's probably like you know i know just one of those people that's everywhere and we're like Oh, you've been around. Have you heard of Joel Corey? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, I know Diplo. What are you talking what about? Talking about? <laughs> uh, Diplo did something recently. What happened to Diplo? I don't think I want to care. Yeah, me either. It's not worth talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that this month has fully just been about malignant. <laughs> we have, we have <laughs> snuck malignant into every conversation that we have I had. Mean, also, other people brought it up, to be fair. True. Very true. Well, maybe not. You know, well, just... at least one other person brought it up. <laughs> I just really like an ongoing theme, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Poor it... James Wan. Oh. Um, he's fine. He's fine. He'll be all right. Um, you know who else is fine? Ari Lennox. True. Um, Pressure. It's been out for a while. I think it came out the same time that um, Chloe. Have Mercy. We talked about that. Did have we? we? Oh, we are also listening to Have Mercy. Yeah, just <laughs> that was a given. If you, if you, think we I might have talked it. about her performance. Oh, on the maybe that's what it DMAs. was. Maybe that's what it was. I mean, great if, song though. If there are any two human beings listening to Chloe, uh, ba- yeah, Bailey. <laughs> it <laughs> is her last name. It's it's these two that you're listening and to. And Hallie right is now. her last name. And Hallie. Wait, Hallie's the other one. Chloe and Hallie. No, you, I, I know. I was just joking. You said, what's her last oh name? I said, Anne Hallie. Oh, my God. You can't do things like that. <laughs> but you're still listening to Pressure. Ari Linux is Pressure. I yeah. feel like you that has been that has had a chokehold on you. Oh, my God. It's so it's good. good. It's, it's good. So I'm good. just saying, like, that has been your... I just, like, really, really, really respect strong vocals and, like, actual R&B. Like... Yeah. Jack, give me some Jasmine Sullivan any day. Give me Ari Lennox any day. Give me Amber Mark any day. I just need the vocals and give me like an instrument and like we're okay. good, you know? And like if you need to sample something and that's happening, sure. But like when you're trying to marry too many things together, it's like, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's okay to just let something be simple and just be what it is. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Honorable mention to Sleigh Bells. <laughs> I... Have been listening to Sleigh Bells for a while, very secretly. I feel like a lot of people don't know that I listen to Sleigh Bells. Um, Texas, spelled T-E-X-I-S, uh, came out not that long ago, um, and I like it. It Shani, feels like I've returned to form, honestly. I am so excited. Shani, I'm going to see them in two days. Are I you tickets fucking to- kidding yes. me? Yes, oh, no. Man. I, <laughs> I, I, um, the first time that I... No, I think I just like had an edible or something and I was, it was when Treats was out and they were mm-hmm. doing that tour and I went to go see that and that was one of my favorite shows I'd ever, I remember just smiling from like eyeball to eyeball, just like that in, album. I, Treats just, I can listen hits. to that from beginning to end. Any it's day. so good. <laughs> and, and like, 
it you know her vocals aren't the best but right. like that's not what you're there no. for you're there for and, and i feel like texas that video too it it's there for like a moment and it goes back to that like cheerleader thing yeah I, anyway go check it out honestly like ah, Bell still hits that makes me so <laughs> happy it's, i love when we have these moments where i'm like you see like we were always i had friends. no idea i had no idea <laughs> yeah I'm i that. fucking love sleigh bells they're great um, well, we talk about a lot with Emma and Hannah, and honestly, this conversation was just so special. I feel like they open up about themselves and their art, and also just like what the heck the role of the femme is in horror. And I really appreciate their view and what they're trying to do in their art and what they're creating. Um, everything, it's so good. Everything we've been talking about these last few weeks leads up to this moment. For real, This though. one moment. This one moment. Yeah. I feel like... I don't know. Just just listen. You're going to listen. Just it's listen. Great. Just it's listen. Amazing. Don't go anywhere. Just listen. Just yeah, listen. Yeah. Just listen. Just just, 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 just Welcome back friends today. We are joined by two total badasses. Also gorgeous babes, Emma Kogan and Hannah Mae Cumming of Monstrous Fem Films, founders of this queer feminist film collective, created the award-winning short Fanatico in 2018, followed up by Camp Calypso in 2020. There's two upcoming films by Monstrous Film, Baby Fever, the 70s prom pro-choice body horror event. (laughs) (laughs) And following that is Penny and the Poppies, the retro surrealist queer psychological horror following a 60s girl band. Hi, babes. Thank you so much for coming. We're so, so happy to have you here. Hi. Oh, my God. We are very excited to be here. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Thank you for having us. Of course. Of course. Um, A couple of Portland artists, wonderful people. We are in the middle, um, honestly, wrapping up our month of kind of horror and fear and phobias and talking about that in connection to queerness and mental health. I got connected to Hannah on Twitter and I was like, Please come on the podcast. I just really want you to talk about your work and talk to us a little bit. And uh, I'm so happy you guys are here. <laughs> Is that <laughs> really how you it. reach out to our guests? Maddie? Absolutely. It's no okay. text. It's just a video of crying. And it works sometimes. It works, <laughs> eh? Gets the job done. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, the way we always get started with our guests uh, is just by asking, what identities do you hold that shape how you come into this world? And feel free to tag in um, as you'd like. But essentially, who are you? What makes you you? Yeah. Um, well, hi, I'm Emma. And um, I identify with my name, I guess. <laughs> That's a great way to start that. Um, but yeah, when I was thinking about this question, I was sort of thinking about what is the thing that sort of tethers all of my interests and all of my ethics together. And to me, what stuck out was a just a general curiosity about the human condition and like why people do what they do and wanting to learn more about different cultures and how we're similar and how we're different. And, you know, like when I think about my interest in, like, I love history and archaeology and that kind of thing. And I want to travel and, you know, go to new places, but I also love storytelling through filmmaking and, you know, creating other, you know, mediums of art. And I realized that almost all of those interests have that one common thing. Um, And so I love, I mean, film is, my number one passion uh, and something that I want to do with the films that I, you know, produce and make and that kind of thing is 
tell those undertold stories and explore the human condition through different lenses. And, um, you know, I, I think I also kind of identify with, uh, experimenting with your style, whether that's through the art that you create or your personal style or whatever. And so I love meshing those two interests, just wanting to explore humans and why we do the things we do, which is, of course, we'll get into this later, why horror is such a fabulous medium for that. But, um, also kind of juxtaposing that with just sort of playing around and being creative and expressing yourself in funky, fun ways. And uh, <laughs> those are sort of the things that stuck out to me when I thought about this. Is I think I think that sums up a lot of uh, uh, who I am as a person and a creator. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with Emma on a lot of those. I, um, I've i lived a lot of places. I've, I lived in England for several years, and I was born in South Africa, and I lived in the South here in America, and now I'm in Portland. So I feel like I've experienced a lot of different cultures in my life, and that definitely shapes the way that I see the world. And also, you know, I'm a queer a queer person, and so I view the world through that, like, kind of queered other perspective, um, and that definitely shapes, like, the stories that I want to tell and uh, the characters that I write and that kind of thing. That's amazing. I feel like y'all are me. <laughs> that makes we are you. That's right? why we're here. Yeah. I love it. We're going to have fun. Um, I mean, you kind of are already jumping into it, but just tell us about your relationship to horror. Um, maybe some of the first horror things from your childhood that you were like, that is it. <laughs> like, that <laughs> is the thing. Um, Goosebumps, the show from the 90s. Yes, we haven't talked has, about that. It's been incredibly influential, I think, on my work and Monstrous Femmes' work as a whole. Like, our uh, past two films and, and the current film that we're making right now are structured around um, those, like, 20-minute episodic kind of, like, anthologies. Um, like, Fanatico is 18 minutes and Camp Calypso is 19 minutes. So they kind of, like, follow that three-act structure that a Goosebumps episode does, but yeah. in a much shorter time frame than a feature film. So, um, yeah, that's been really influential for me personally. That was, like, my um, gateway horror, my introduction to the genre, and I've been obsessed ever since. Do you have like a standout episode? I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. You can ask it. Do you, want, you can ask it first. It's been asked now. <laughs> okay, okay. The worst one. <laughs> My favorite is the worst one. And nobody shares this as a favorite, but it came from beneath the sink. The the Goblin sponge thing? one. Oh okay. my God. Yeah. <laughs> that one was it's, yeah. it's like about this, this evil sponge that this yeah. character finds under the sink in her new house and it, it's like really ridiculous but that was my favorite obsessed thank you so much what about I've you, never met a bigger one a never a bigger uh, goosebumps fan than Hannah, oh, that's, that's Hannah. Like, that's it. a bigger sponge she's of the sponge I've never people. met a bigger sponge than Hannah a bigger goosebumps sponge she yeah. absorbs yeah. it all um, but yeah I feel like um, Hannah's ideas and and work is very much it's kind of similar to sort of how I feel about juxtaposing things. I feel like Hannah sort of takes the goosebumps narrative structure and pairs it with like adult subject matters, but in still like a really fun youthful way. And so 
I think that's really interesting. Why I admire her so much. This is me admitting I have a crush on you on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) From upstairs. (laughs) From upstairs. Yeah, from the other room. Um, Yeah, I I feel like for me, I, you know, I grew up on horror sci-fi mystery. I have loved that always. I think that as um, a kid, it was always sort of a, method of just entertainment for me like that's just the stuff I found the most intriguing and fun and I also was born on Halloween so I feel like I sort of had to be interested in horror it was like forced upon me upon like leaving the womb um that this would be my whole life (laughs) um but I feel like it was uh really what I associate historically with myself and horror is um Probably how in high school I was obsessed with the movie Orphan and I would <laughs> I was like the girl that showed everyone Orphan and, and like for like three years straight, like oh every goodness. Friday, it'd be the movie where people would come over and they're like, do you want to watch High School Musical? And I'm like, have you seen Orphan? <laughs> Complete opposite direction. Love yeah. That. You brought up um, sci-fi horror, and that just got me thinking. Okay, so earlier, the last few episodes, uh, we've talked about horror a bit. We've talked about just about every aspect of it. In the the first episode, I think it was of this topic, I said that I am not a huge horror person. I am only into horror when I am around my friends that are normally (laughs) white. But just now in this moment, I realized that I am very into like sci-fi horror. So now I'm starting to think about like the genres of horror that we haven't covered on this like podcast yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like you all have somewhat of a passion point for like the 60s, 70s, sort of like a retro vintage kind of horror. Um, what sort of inspired that? You know, Hannah and I, when we met, that was the first thing we connected on was that we were both very much into that era, just like in our personal styles, but also in our our taste in film. And uh, Hannah had talked to me about working on Fanatico, which was already a period piece. And I was just like super in from the moment she mentioned it. Yeah, I think like personally for me, um, my mom is a vintage collector. She collects like retro clothes. And um, my dad is very into like mid-century modern um, design. And so stylistically, that was like uh, an influence on me. And then I just really love like the 70s horror is the best. I I don't really know how else to say it. Like (laughs) the horror from the 70s, that it was iconic. That whole 10-year period, some of the best horror films ever made came out at that time. And um, yeah, like Emma was saying, I connected with her because we had very similar taste and style in like clothes and fashion. And um, that was just kind of something that we wanted to bring into our um, horror films because I feel like modern horror films are really boring. And they're really they're ugly. Gray. They're all gray or like they have this really ugly like blue kind of color grade. Agree. Agree. Um, and mm-hmm. I just I think we both just missed when films were be- when horror films were beautiful mm-hmm. and like candy for the eyes. And we kind of just wanted to bring that back with our work. Obsessed. Um, I have like so many questions. The first one I want to like back up a little bit because I introduced Monstrous Femme, but I feel like there's more of a little bit of a maybe story there. So like, how did Monstrous Femme come to be? How would you describe it? Um, 
just the art collective as a a little blurb. So in 2018, I was in college and I really wanted to make a film that was kind of like different than a lot of the student films that I was seeing from my school. And I saw Phenomena, 1985, Dario Argento, um, and was just super inspired by that and fell down the Dario Argento, like giallo rabbit hole. And um, just thought a giallo, sorry, my cat's going crazy. Sorry. Uh, sorry. You might have to cut that. I love it. Um, we love. We have so many uh, pet visitors yeah. often on this podcast, so <laughs> we love to keep here, it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna guests. back up. I'm gonna back up then. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in college and uh, wanted to make a short film that was very different from a lot of the student films that I was seeing, and I kind of fell down the giallo rabbit hole and thought that that would be just like a really fun kind of like genre to tackle. Um, contacted Emma because I really loved her like personal style. Didn't even know that she had an interest in filmmaking or in like retro fat or I knew she was into retro fashion, but I didn't know that she was a filmmaker and a screenwriter and stuff herself. So that was like a really great um, connection for us. And after that, we decided that we wanted to keep making stuff together and growing our collective and growing this like anthology. Um, so then we did Camp Calypso in 2019. And uh, the past two years during the pandemic, we've both been writing um, our own scripts that we plan to produce now, and um, we'll see where it goes. We have we have some plans for the future, but we kind of just want to see um, where the next two projects take us. Yeah, yeah. We I think that beyond just stylistic and you know the interest in filmmaking and storytelling, I think that art ethics with filmmaking also really aligned and that for me really you know energized me about collaborating together you know long term and and kind of putting our heads together to create more art in the future um you know having collaborative sets having ethical workspaces and creative spaces where um you know people are able to communicate and ask questions and it's not you know it can be really prickly in the film industry and we want to sort of with indie filmmaking you have the opportunity to take back that power a little bit and shift the power dynamic and it's important for us that everyone that works on our projects is just as important as the next person um and is respected and so we you know we do make an effort to work with uh queer people women non-binary people um people of color that's what we want to do. We want to give people an opportunity to um, work together on something that's really fun uh, that they have a say on. Like we love when people that, you know, maybe they're not a producer, maybe there are, you know, special effects artists or are even a like a PA or something. If they have an idea or something, or maybe if something's not working on set or something like that, we want to hear from them. We want to hear from everybody. And um, just that same sort of outlook on how we want sets and projects to run. And also that the same sort of feeling of we want to tell undertold stories. We want to tell them through our lens and through a queer lens, um, things that we haven't necessarily seen the characters we love told through. Uh, that sort of a helped us build our our brand ethics and our our 
collaborative ethics together. Um, and we want to put that into whatever we do. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed with um, this specific intention to highlight queer stories, to highlight um, uh, a lens of, um, yeah, whatever that that other is, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and um, it's, there's something so weird about that because um, horror is queer, horror is gay, horror is women. Like, you know, it is mm-hmm. all these things. And then obviously that hasn't been the ones controlling it or running it or doing it. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on like what that barrier has been and how it's been within your efforts trying to subvert those things and make like specific pivots to this is ours. Well, like you were saying, it's been queer and it's been feminist and um, there is no horror without queerness. Um, And I think that just kind of like there's been a lot of reclamation in recent years um, and there are a lot of really interesting like I'm sure you looked at them, um, but books and um, like academic analysis of horror films from a feminist and queer perspective, like The Monstrous Feminine, Barbara Creed, and Carol J. Clover, um, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And I think that there's, I'm really, I need to, I'm sorry, I need to put my cat in a different room. (laughs) She's literally attacking me. (laughs) She, her cat is very funny and a little temperamental, but we love her. Um, her name is Mad Max, and it's very like it's a very apt name. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mad Max. God, I'm so sorry. We're just talking it's... shit about your cat. It's fine. Um, welcome back. She's though. a hor- she's a horrible menace. Um, her name her name is Mad Max. Yes, because she reminds me of Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad she is. <laughs> okay, I'm really sorry. Do you want to just okay. say your question again? <laughs> no, I feel like we can okay. we can splice it together. You were just talking okay. about two books that informed your perspective, and yes, okay. So um, Carol J. Clover, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. She talks about the final girl trope and the role of the final girl in the horror film, and then. The foil of that is The Monstrous Feminine. Uh, Barbara Creed wrote that, and that's kind of about, you know, um, the, the monstrous femme, which very much informed our uh, collective, obviously. <laughs> and um, a couple of examples of that would be, like, Mary Lou Maloney from Prom Night 2. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, like, a very awesome queer feminist film that Emma and I love. Um and, you know, Carrie, uh, Nola from The Brood, like a lot of strong female monstrous characters um, in horror history who have been very influential on, like, mo- I think modern films. Jennifer's Body is a more recent monstrous feminine um, use of that archetype. So um, I think that that's something that we're actively kind of trying to put into our work and explore more um, with our films. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit, we've mentioned the final girl a bit, but for those maybe that horror is not like their thing, right? Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two tropes and how, why maybe you identify more with one than the other? Yeah, I think that, you know, historically when we think about the final girl, 
it's often um, a woman who is usually she's, you know, dressed maybe a little more butch or a little more tomboy. Um, she's usually not overly feminine. Uh, and she is usually a virgin. She's usually, you know, supposed to be kind of she's not sexual. She's not even touching feminine clothing. Um, yeah. She's and, not distracted by dick yet, so she's got her yeah, wits about her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. she's smart because she's, she still has her brains. Yeah. Um, I was just so thinking, well. this is why I would probably die first in a movie. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. I'm I've like, really that. can't relate to these girls. Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like that trope very much is saying that girls who are not sexually active or sexually empowered – who are not bothered with all this boring feminine stuff, you know, who needs makeup? That's for little weak girls, you know, very much like girly things are not strong. And I feel like you're like, wow, the final girl, what a strong female character, which is often true. But when you're seeing these repeated patterns um, of, you know, identifying who this character kind of is through their costume or through what, you know, the undercurrents of what the story's saying about them, it's very much still associating masculinity with strength, even if it's a girl. And you can see that in, you know, them often dressing like very masculine, which on one hand is is great and cool. And I want to see women dress masculine and feminine across the screen. But then you think about the monstrous feminine, um, like Hannah mentioned, I think Mary Lou is a great example, um, specifically of this kind of sexual empowerment thing because Mary Lou embodies the sexually empowered woman in prom night two. Um, and she is very feminine. Uh, another example is Jennifer from Jennifer's body. And, and she sort of subverts that uh, trope of, of being sort of virginal, but also she is the monster in that movie. She's not the final girl. Um, and so you see these monstrous characters dressed super girly and feminine and they're often very sexual and empowered and those things are demonized and that's the biggest difference between those two tropes for me um i think that that is shifting it's something that we like to shift um i personally love a good like anti-hero uh those are my faves um but yeah i think that's a very it, it's it's something to think about and you could look at it through a few different ways um but it's definitely a pattern and i think that it is being addressed by more, you know, women and queer people in the horror uh, genre that are making films now. Um, but yeah, when you think about like 70s through 2010, it's mostly that. Um, and I do feel like it's kind of a, a new thing that people are thinking about. I, you know, like Hannah said, I think that reclaiming the horror genre is very much something that has begun to happen over the past 10 years. Um, and I think that's part of it. We're starting to question things. Um, you know, we're starting to think about, you know, for example, like lesbian vampire films. Amazing. Love them. Sexy, hot. My favorite films. Um, but also uh, a lot of them in the 70s were made for men by men. Um, but now, like, me and my girls, like, these are our favorite films. <laughs> and we're like, it's you know what? It's stylish. It's fabulous. We want to make more of these. Um, and I think that there is something that feels kind of rebellious and very right about um, people that 
were being exploited in films, enjoying the films that they were exploited by. Um, and it is kind of a, a, a middle finger to the filmmakers that were exploiting us because I do not think that we were their target audience. Hmm. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Suspiria? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I have a page. question though. 1977 or 2018? Yeah. 1977. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um that was like one of the main inspirations for Fanatico. Um Love Suspiria. Sexy lighting, <laughs> gorgeous costumes. It's set, such a set, set design. Set design. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I will also say though I love the new one a lot. And but I think of them as honestly separate entities. Mm-hmm. Like Agreed. I don't like I think going into it I was like what is this remake? What is this reboot? And even like halfway through I had to be like delete the original out of your brain cuz that's not what this is about. Like it right. is but it's not. And I feel like when I made that separation I found deep appreciation for both of them in different ways. But Absolutely. And also I mean you don't want it to be the same cuz Suspiria is a perfect film. You know, if you're going to tackle that as a reboot, you want it to be a completely different original kind of film. Those are so. the best. That's why I feel like that's why Mary Lou succeeds as a sequel because it's just a different, better film <laughs> than Prom Night One, it's, but it's different entirely. Well, that's mainly because it wasn't supposed to be a sequel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and the studio, the studio just tacked on Prom Night Two for, you know, continuity the attention. box office. Yeah. yeah. Kind of worked though in the in the long run, you know. Yes. Now we like it. <laughs> <laughs> now we like it. Um, are there other horror? You were saying like you know this trope is changing, and within the last ten years, we've seen a reclamation in some ways. What are some examples of within the last ten years that you're like this is done in a way that I I am hoping to add to this canon? You know what I mean? Mm, that's a good question. I feel like I'm so judgmental about modern horror <laughs> i'm like hmm. um i think that you know Taryn just shreds too we love haters <laughs> that's fine um, you can shit talk all you want i think that you know danny from midsummer is i think a really successful final girl in my opinion uh, costume wise i think that you could look at it both ways she's not necessarily dressed hyper feminine in the beginning um but she's very neutral you don't often see a woman just in sweats you know yeah in a film and also she was you know a sexual woman she was in a relationship that was i i, I love the way that the beginning of that film looked at that relationship it made me hurt and cringe inside because like oh god bad relationships remembering them all uh, but I liked that it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The fact um, that she went, everyone's just like, oh, God. Like, yeah. He doesn't yeah. like Why yeah. would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Girl, like, run, please. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, but, yeah, I think that, in my opinion, she would be the, the first person that comes to mind. I think that was done um, really well. That smile at the end as he's, mm-hmm. like, burning alive, I was like, all right, my girl got what she needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say uh, Jane Levy in the Evil Dead remake mm. um, is a really interesting one. She's kind of like the monstrous feminine and the final girl at times because of the way that they kind of subverted the original story and made her 
um, you know, the possessed sister as well as Ash. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I find that interesting. And then another kind of like trope of the final girl is the um, kind of like p- penis kind of weapon. So okay. the chainsaw um, in, in uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, that's a big kind of like element of the final girl in that film. And so mm. they kind of bring that back in um, the Evil Dead Evil remake, Dead. which I think is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, another one that popped into my head. Another one that is kind of like both the protagonist and the antagonist, both the monstrous feminine and the final girl. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Revenge. It's kind of a – is it on Shudder or Amazon or – it's on one of those. Um, it was on Shudder at one think, point. Yeah. Um, what strikes me about that character, I think her name's Jennifer. Um, she's hyper feminine. She's all, she's basically playing like Paris Hilton. Um, and it's one of the goriest films I've, uh, I've seen. Um, but she's both, she's very feminine. Uh, she's, it, it basically starts with a sex scene, you know, she's very much empowered. Um, but she's sort of a, a, I would say she's more like Danny, where she sort of has this sort of arc of uh, being a victim and then becoming really powerful. Um, and I think that that was probably the most uh, obvious attempt to successful attempt to uh, subvert the final girl trope um, that I've seen recently, and that was that was pretty good. I thought you were going to say malignant. Ooh, I haven't seen it, so but Hannah has. I think I saw it and I loved it. Okay. I loved it. That's like an even split so far. I feel like it has been the equal an equal number of people that like that movie and an equal number of people that do not. (laughs) I gotta know where I stand. It's really weird because it's like B movie camp with like a blockbuster horror movie budget. So it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on the tone. Yeah. But I think if you take it full camp, mm-hmm. then it's a great film. <laughs> yeah. I, I think my, I was saying this, uh, our friend Glucose was uh, talking to us and I knew that Glucose loved Malignant. And I was like, you have to say why, because <laughs> I couldn't finish it. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I like truly was like, and I, I'm, obviously I'm not going to walk out of a theater, but like when it's on my TV, I'm like, I'm done. Like I, I know where yeah. this is going and I don't mm-hmm. want to see it go there. Um, but uh, I think I wish I had had the lens of this doesn't want to be anything other than this, but I think, I don't know if it's the marketing's fault. I don't know, whatever, but I received messages that it wanted to be a blockbuster horror movie. And I don't think it mm-hmm. like, it didn't, maybe it's marketing's fault, but like it, I feel like the intention is to be the next big horror movie and it was bad, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, you know? You're like, it didn't it, land for me. It just didn't <laughs> land. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think, <laughs> I think that I wish I had not known that it was, I, it's like if I didn't know anything about it, I might've enjoyed it. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to just go in and, and, and pretend like I don't know what movie I'm watching and then see what happens. Yeah. Oh no. Who's <laughs> taking this? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> we should do an Instagram poll to see if I should watch this movie or not. <clears throat> Listeners, if I should watch it's gonna this movie. It's going to be just a split. <laughs> yes. It's like 50-50. I will not watch I it. I think then. so. I think so. I th- it, it has as much love as it has to stay. I'm so curious. I, <laughs> I I texted a 
friend and coworker of mine, um, and I was like, did you see Malignant? And he's like, yeah. I was thinking in the movie theater, like, Hannah would love this movie. And I was like, yeah, I did. And he's like, yeah, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hmm, you, ha- you were thinking about how much you hated the movie and how much I would, I like, would like it. it. That yeah. makes me feel a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about your bad taste, and it really made me think that you'd like it. <laughs> But that's sometimes the hard thing about horror. I mean, obviously, shitty friend, by the way. But <laughs> yeah, but, so um, they're they're canceled anyway. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but I mean, that can be the 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 thing about horror. I mean, especially seventies horror, right? Like, there part of why we love it is it's a little bit bad. Like, I think that mm-hmm. that's like part of the and obviously, I mean that in quotes. I I think there's so much that I take deeply seriously about it being good, but also there's this element of like, it's fun to watch someone get smashed or like, how did they do that? Or like, you know, just like that kind of stuff. And I just wonder how do you both balance that tension of like dipping into that while also trying to make in quotes, good art. You know what I mean? Like being uh, art you're proud of is actually what I mean to say versus good or bad. Well, I mean, we're kind of having a lot of talks about tone right now with our current film, Baby Fever, because it tackles really serious subject matter. And it it is an important story that is kind of like, it's important sociopolitically. And it's also a fun B-movie. Like, it's going to have a lot of crazy, like, stupid moments. And it's going to be very silly and lighthearted. And so kind of like balancing that tone is difficult. But um, I would say just making sure that we don't lose sight of the message that we're trying to tell, but we also don't want to take ourselves too seriously. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know. That's like an ongoing conversation with our collective, Mm -hmm. kind of finding that with each film, um, how we want to balance that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would would agree with Hannah. Um, It's also – I think there is something to be said about – because I, I think that the films that we've we've made and also the films that are on our horizon very much do sort of toe the line depending on the subject matter, um, even depending on the scene, you know, it can come down to that. Um, what approach we take, uh, you know, is this, is our crazy effects appropriate for this scene? Is, you know, is this line a little too silly for what's going on or does that help? But I do think there is something to be said about um, a certain kind of juxtaposition in the the dialogue and what's happening in the scene and the production design and the wardrobe um, that can almost make the story stronger. So when I think about um, baby fever uh, and I think about the messages that we're trying to send you know the film is set in 1972 um it tackles um reproductive rights that's a massive theme in the film uh and it's it's set in this this weird era where in the early 70s um there was a lot of sort of faux happiness that was something that people were trying to evoke you know that's why we associate that little yellow smiley face with the 70s is because that was like everywhere it was like smile everyone and everyone was like we don't want to we're not happy um and i think that that sort of tone and environment immersing our or or kind of drenching our production design and wardrobe in that sort of fun era where everyone's you know dressing in these fun colorful cupcakey things and you know we're trying to have a good time 
paired with the subject matter almost makes the story itself stronger. You know, immersing the story within that shows that juxtaposition that happened in real life and how everyone was trying to ignore their problems in the early 70s, almost like they were doing in in the 50s, but in a kind of a different way. Um, You know, everyone was trying to be free spirited, but no one was actually feeling it. it was very tense, you know, obviously not speaking from personal experience. I wish I was a very old vampire, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, from what I understand, it was that's uh, kind of what that that time period was like. Same thing with Penny and the Poppies, which I'm I'm writing now. And it's it's set in the 60s. And I want the production design to be super like drenched in like camp and candy coated goodness. But I want the story to be relatively dark. And I, you know, I think about how the characters I'm writing are people treat them like dolls because they're in a girl band. And I think that what's happening to them is really messed up, but they have to go out and perform and literally look like a Barbie doll and uh, showcasing that visually and through the dialogue um, in our films is something that I think can strengthen uh, what's happening and the message that we're trying to get across. Yeah. And it's fun. (laughs) You're saying something interesting here and I, I am seeing a parallel between just the human condition in America with, you know, smile, like everything's fine. When people ask you Mm -hmm. how you're doing, you're usually just like, I'm good. Even if you're feeling terrible, (laughs) you know? Um, And whether you like meant for that to sort of be a takeaway from the films that you're making or not, um, you know, are you, do you find that sort of stuff happening in your films often or in the things that you're, the things that you're creating and writing, like these sort of mental health aspects where, huh, this is part of like the human condition. This is part of um, what it means to just be a human being on the planet, or at least in this country, should I say. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, In Baby Fever, you know, our main character, Donna, she discovers that she's pregnant And uh, everyone in her life is like telling her that she needs to keep the baby and, you know, she wants to abort the child. It's pre Roe v. Wade, but there are ways. (laughs) And um, everyone around her is kind of like controlling her and she has no autonomy over her own, you know, decisions and her own body. And um, that's like the main theme of this film. So that's definitely something we're exploring, I think, in. Baby Fever and Penny and the Poppies. Not so much uh, in our last two films, um, but definitely kind of the direction that we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with everything Hannah said. (laughs) (laughs) She's right. (laughs) Same wavelength. Yeah. I'm loving like um, what you're naming, which is these very tangible ways in which horror has always been this like cultural response to X, right? And it's Mm -hmm. always doing that decade by decade. We see the different villain becomes something different the the sort of subject matter across a decade is generally something different based on what's happening sociopolitically etc um obviously the connection between the 70s and now and like how your lens as a gen z millennial 2000s person mm-hmm. <laughs> um of being able to bring in like what your what is happening for you now and your culture now and your community now through this, but retelling it through the seventies, there's lots of parallels is what I'm saying. Like, obviously with abortion, we had like the Texas thing happened seven minutes ago. And like, even if that is speaking to each other from the past and the present, what other issues do you think are 
parallel at this moment? That kind of makes me think about, um, I mean, in my own writing, I, I think that I, whether I like it or not, take a lot of experience from my own life. I think every writer does that. Um, and so in a way, I think no matter what you're writing, um, no matter what you're creating, it's a response in some way, shape or form, whether it's like very directly about something or sort of like you think about it two years later and you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like that year was crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I I think about um, uh, like queer experiences, something that I wanted to um, explore in this next script was um, what being a, a, a queer woman feels like for me. And I think a lot about how you are towing the line between are we friends or are we dating or is the, are we on a date right now? And I don't know if I just like, you know, the whole like, do I want to be you or do I want to be with you and kind of exploring your identity um, through that. And that was something that I wanted to incorporate um, into Penny and the Poppy. So that that's what pops into my mind is like a direct reference when it comes to something like that. Um, but yeah, I think in general, um, everything is a response, like you said. Um, and I, I, suspect we're going to get a lot of isolation horror <laughs> in the coming years. Um, I I know for me, <laughs> like, <Anna's face. laughs> like uh, it's coming. We're writing it, Han. Um, but <laughs> I mean, even for me, like another thing that I could think of that sort of directly informed um, work that I, that I want to do um, was uh, going through a really scary um, chronic illness. And that, also informed my interest in, in, you know, breaking down ableism in the film industry, which is also important to us. Um, but uh, it was very isolating for me. And so that, and that was pre pandemic. And I would, I was like, wow, that it felt very dystopian. And then I was like, we should dive into, you know, a sci-fi in the future with monstrous femme that explores um, that isolating feeling that no one really talks about, um, but experiences and, well, and now we're just going to be in the in the running with all different kinds of isolation horror, I suspect. But um, <laughs> yeah, those are sort of the things that pop into my head um, when you think about that the life to art sort of pipeline. Mm -hmm. I've seen a trend recently with, and it's not it's not specific to horror, but you know we've all been locked away. Now there's all this sort of like vacation horror, like mm -hmm. old um, White Lotus isn't horror to some people, but. You know, I feel like that HBO show was about you're on vacation and then it just is stressful and intense the entire time. So mm -hmm. I agree. It's just interesting to see how the human mind uh, processes what's happening today and transforms that into art that is telling a story that people need to hear. Yeah, that reminds me of um, in the same sort of vein as White Lotus. Um, I recently watched and Hannah watched it too, uh, Shiva Baby which I believe fully is a horror film. And as a Jewish woman, I'm like, yeah, that's, it feels like that every time at every family event. It's the way that tension was built in that film. Not only reflected, I feel like the tension we feel just in like the general zeitgeist of specifically America, but also in our world. But that is genuinely something that Jewish people go through. And I think that anyone that has been to a very tense family event in general, um, can kind of feel that tension rise and build and voices, you know, toppling over each other. And it's 
massive chaos. But I feel like that stress was absolutely horrifying to me. And I was like, yeah, this is a horror film to me. <laughs> I fully had to like have lunch in between like halfway through of that movie. I was, I Too was, much. Like, it's just so intense. Shawnee, it's like, it's about um, like a, a Shiba attended by someone who is queer, but also has like um, a, a sex work client there as well and family. And it's like all happening in this like one hour and a half. And it's just like, Ooh, uh. it's like oh, yeah. so much. It's so much. It's great. And wonderful. I, yeah, it was. I, really I hated it, but it was great. Truly, truly, truly. Um, Something I'm curious just for the both of you, um, how has watching horror, consuming horror, absorbing it, and then creating it, um, how has that shaped your own understanding of your mental health and your um, journey towards wellness and healing? If at all. You're like, I. it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that question. I, I very much, you know, correlate uh horror and mental health um i think for me uh it 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 was learning one that learning like a medium like horror existed that did push boundaries of storytelling and that alone was really liberating for me um but i also think about um how horror is very much uh reflective of the arc of processing trauma from experiencing it to going through it um, a film that I think of specifically that affected me in a very direct way was um, The Vigil, which is another Jewish horror film. Um, and it's basically about trauma specifically, but I think you could see that uh, cycle in a lot of other films. But it almost like when you when you watch a film, it you kind of get out of your own head and you are placed into the screen and your brain is, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of science to it. Your brain is absorbing what's happening in many ways, sometimes like it's happening to you. And it, it it's strange because at, at the end of a film, after seeing someone go through something crazy and come out on the other side, I mean, usually, um, <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes um, you know, in those cases, uh, it almost can make you feel better. It makes you almost feel like you overcame something in a weird way. Um, but even just writing, like, like realizing that film was a way to process things, I feel like was really big for me. Um, it made me feel like I had an outlet for, um, the different feelings I felt in my life about, you know, whatever, um, that I was able to have a medium that I could kind of overcome it through a character, um, and whether it was watching it or writing it and making it, um, that's sort of the thing that sticks out to me the most, uh, is that I do find it to be very cathartic. Um, you know, it, it, something I also think about a lot is authenticity and horror feels, whether it's campy and ridiculous and there's heads exploding or whether it's, you know, very serious and dark and, you know, or a mixture of, of the two, um, it, it feels like it's very much authentic to what it is. Um, and I like that there's film pushing the boundaries um, beyond, you know, a blockbuster film or a happy story. Um, and, and in a way that authenticity, even if it's dark, makes me feel happy because I like seeing those things acknowledged. I think that when it comes to mental health, um, art and horror specifically, horror films is, is a great way to acknowledge that we, a lot of us are dealing with 
stuff that's really, really difficult um, or go through really, really crazy things and that these things can happen, you know, and uh, life isn't perfect and people aren't perfect. And I appreciate that there's a genre that showcases that people aren't perfect and people um, that's why I love anti-heroes so much. It's because it kind of shows the complexities of people and how someone can be both a hero um, and a villain because no one's perfect and everyone's dealing with their own stuff. And I love seeing characters grow, you know, that you see that a lot with horror. You see someone in the beginning, whether it is a hero or a villain, become an entirely different character by the end. Um, and you just don't, it just hits different, you know, like you just don't get that in other genres. And agree. Yeah, that authenticity really feels liberating to me. Agreed. What about you, Hannah? Um, I would agree. I think horror is often used as kind of like a, a parable um, for, like we were saying, like political uh, things that are going on in the world or emotional. And there's always like, it's it's a metaphor for the human condition and like our experiences. So of course it's very like therapeutic to explore those feelings um, in a kind of falsified world, something that's not real, but it feels a little bit real. And also there's just something really therapeutic about like letting yourself be afraid and letting yourself kind of like put yourself in a in a situation where you're uncomfortable or you're scared or you're upset and then turn the movie off and it's over and you let yourself feel that but you're in a safe environment and you can move on and i you know i, I don't really get scared by horror films anymore but <laughs> when i did once upon a time um that was very therapeutic for me it's been um that last thing that you're offering um, is making me think a lot just about feelings in, in general and how afraid we are to feel them. <laughs> and I was just thinking recently, um, I don't um, I don't know why I'm being dodgy. I was feeling recently a big feeling and I was like driving around and I was like, I could feel myself like be like, no, not right now. Like we are not doing that right now. Like, and it wasn't even like, you know, I, I didn't have to like burst into tears or something. It was really just this thing that I was, it was moving through my body and I could feel it in my body. I was feeling my like jaw clench and stuff. Anyway, I really had to sort of remind myself at, while I'm driving a name, like it's going to be worse if you don't feel it right now, like just feel it and no, it'll, I will be okay eventually. You know, even if in this moment, this lasts for 30 minutes or it lasts for seven or, you know, however long, maybe it ruins my night. Maybe it just ruins my night. I can wake up the next day and I won't <clears throat> have felt the same tension. At least I will have like processed it. And I, I just appreciate that horror, I think forces us to sit with some of that uncomfortableness and it's an hour and a half or the good ones are, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. in, in that little pocket. And I just appreciate that. Like, I appreciate that reminder to feel our feelings because mm -hmm. it's going to always be so much easier to do that if we just move through it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's really cathartic. Yeah, and That's feeling your feelings is so so important. I think practicing like radical acceptance has been hard, but <laughs> very important. And and a lot of it is is you know when you're growing and you're working on yourself to. Also, you know, something I'm learning right now is to give myself grace when I'm not being perfect and when I'm, you know, when I'm like, oh, I wanted to do better at that and then I didn't, you know, it's it's giving yourself that that grace to, you know, radically accept that 
it's fine. Like I'm and, and even if it's not fine, I'm here and I'm feeling this and it's okay. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's sometimes you really need the reminder to feel your feelings for sure. And perfect is so boring. Perfect is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Yeah. Like I'm. <laughs> even Beyonce said that and you know, if she said it is true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> gospel. <Absolutely>. Gospel. Gospel. <laughs> Um, well, thank you both so much for being here. I really feel just so deeply blessed to be able to like play with these ideas and having watched Fanatico earlier this week and just like, I was so excited to talk to you both and I'm, I'm excited to see what comes next, but, um, mostly just holding a lot of gratitude for the space and laughter and energy and, and deep thoughtfulness. You guys are just so beautiful and wonderful. Thank you for being here. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. This has been really, this has revived my soul a little today. This has been a really special little time. Yeah, I would agree. It's really nice to talk to other queer horror fans because we see the genre in such a different way from such a different perspective. And I think it's really special when we do get that time to kind of connect over the genre. Um, You know, it's just so flooded with non-queer people that it's really nice when we get to reclaim it a little bit they're everywhere they're coming out of the woodworks (laughs) (laughs) we're everywhere i appreciate that too let's take a quick break and then shawnee you want to lead us into some meds always always (laughs) we're back we're taking some meds we're talking about what's making us happy um maddie you know how this goes you're first your first step i'm first not you no. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're this is uh, we've done this like this is, every week for the last three weeks. It's yeah, it's me. like an inside um, joke between us that our listeners are like, I wish they would stop. <laughs> and they're like, What is happening? Why am I here? Um, okay, reeling it in. Um, today I got to go on a bike ride with my partner and my brother, and we just like zipped around the city. And I just haven't been able to really do that here. Um, one, I had to sell my bike before I came. So I just got one of those like city bikes and I was feeling really self-conscious about it. But then I had a great time and it was like rolling around the, a lake. And I feel like in Portland, I would have felt like that opportunity had been, I missed it. I missed the sun. And if I didn't catch an activity in the sun by end of mm-hmm. September, it was like, maybe I'll do it, but probably not. We'll have to wait till next year. And I I'm appreciating being in this new space, experiencing seasons differently. And this activity was really, um, it was nice. It was a nice day. That's what I'm saying. I had a nice day on the park. <laughs> so lame. Okay. Hannah, what if, what is, um, what are your meds? What's bringing you joy? Well, yesterday I went roller skating at the historic Oaks Park roller rink mm-hmm. and I, I've been trying to teach myself how to roller skate for the past two years, and I'm re- I've just I'm really bad at it. I have like kind of crooked knees, so it makes <laughs> it really hard for me. Um, and I haven't done it all year just because I've been really busy. And you know, you can only roller skate outside in Portland in the summer, like you were saying about the seasons, because the ground is wet all the yes. other seasons. <laughs> yeah. So I went last night and. I realized how much I've improved. I felt so comfortable. I felt so beautiful. I I was really proud of myself. And now I plan to roller skate once a week um, and just take that time for myself to learn a new hobby and build on my skills. So that brought me joy. I love that. Oaks Park is so fun. You just brought back like 97 memories in my head. Thank you for that. (laughs) We're actually filming there for our film, our next film. So we got a scene there. 
That's, that's, that makes so much sense to me, by the way. I, I love that. <laughs> and is that skating with the four non-inline wheels? Or yeah. Inline? Okay. It's the four, which it, you would think it would be easier, but it's much harder. Right. Um, I know how to roll a skate, so but not that. Yeah, <laughs> you have blade, to balance each foot, not just like your body, your core and your body. You have to balance like each leg, which is really <laughs> weird. <laughs> and then the rentals no, are so heavy. So you feel yeah. like a big bird, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like clunking around on the floor, yes. but also on wheels. Yes, baby's first heels. Very that. I know. Yeah. Proud of you, Hannah, though. You did it. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Emma, what do you got? Oh, well, this week, um, I was pretty proud of myself uh, because I finally, as an adult, got my wisdom teeth removed recently. Um, yay. Uh, I'm very glad they're gone. They're massive. They let me keep them. Uh, I was like, I got to do something creepy with these. Um but anyways, <laughs> um, this was that was like two or three weeks ago, and this was the first week I started to feel a little more functional. Uh, and it, 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 I not only had that kind of I was high off of the feeling of feeling proud of myself for just like doing the surgery I was terrified of, um, but I've just had a lot of really nice quiet time that I've really cherished. I've been one of my favorite rituals to do and and sometimes i i don't do it but i love to uh drink a hot beverage no matter what it is or cold in the in the summer um outside or in our sunroom um every morning it's like one of my favorite things to do you know no phone no nothing um and i've had some really nice quiet moments like that this week um and also just like in the theme of alone time i i took myself out kind of on a a little date yesterday and it was so nice. And I, I I was just kind of like, yeah, I deserved that. And it was fun to sort of sit with myself and reflect on my life and the things that I, I you know, kind of just daydream. I just let myself daydream a lot this week. And, uh, you know, going out yesterday to Hawthorne, checking out all my favorite little vintage stores, it, it revitalized me. I mean, any put me in a vintage store and it all say the same thing. It always <laughs> revitalizes me. Um, but just taking myself out and giving myself that time alone, whether it was in the morning or taking, you know, walks during the day this week um, has has felt really good for me. And so that's been a really refreshing thing for me to do. I love that. Shani, um, what's up, boo? I'll close this out. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> Hannah, you talked about it before we started recording, but I don't know. I'm enjoying wearing long sleeves again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like pants. I am not... I'm like from the South. I'm used to heat. I'm used to wearing shorts and t-shirts. I'm not great at styling those things. Although I got better this summer. Like fall, winter is my jam. Like my closet is filled with like hoodies, uh, sweatshirts, sweaters, turtlenecks, everything. So I don't know. It's been exciting being able to wear that stuff out in public and not just like in my house like a weirdo. Like when it's 100 degrees outside, like I want to look cute today in my apartment. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I enjoyed the fall weather. Yes, I love uh, that. It's so you nice. do have a, and Shawnee does have a really good fall uh, wardrobe, especially like color scheme too. I feel like it's great. I'm excited for you to get to wear your best oh. items. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait for the fit checks. <laughs> I feel like all I wear is black and gray, and I blame New York for that. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's cozy yeah. though. I mean, ugh, feeling cozy has honestly given my soul so much. I'm also very much a fall winter person. Mm-hmm. I can totally attest to that. 
Um, all right. Well, this is the last episode of this topic, um, fear, phobias, and horror. So you know what that means, listeners. You have homework. Um, I did not forget. I never forget. This time, though, I'm going to enlist some help from Hannah and Emma. Um, I originally had an idea, but based off of our conversation, I can't think of two better people to maybe just help me out with this. Mm-hmm. What is some required horror viewing? for our mm. listeners. Like you each get one movie, one film. Ooh. We're going to pick yeah. the same film. Oh. <laughs> Hannah, okay. I know which film. Okay, <laughs> Hannah Hannah should go first and then I'll try and pick something that juxtap- juxtaposes it in a in a fun in a fun wacky way. And then I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> you, you have well, to name it and then say why it's required viewing. Okay. Well, we've talked about it a little bit in this episode. Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 from 1987, directed by Bruce Pittman and written by Ron Oliver. It's a Canadian film. It's queer. It's feminist. It's sexy. It's weird. Um, it's You don't have to see Prom Night 1 to see Prom Night 2, and I actually recommend that you don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Unless, I mean, there is a really great 15-minute like disco sequence in the first one, which is fun. <laughs> but yeah, Prom Night 2, definitely see it. If you're queer, you love horror. It's a must-see. Mm-hmm. Done. I think, yeah. I mean, that's one. That's the one What's that I feel say? like we both love the same amount so much. <laughs> um, it's just fantastic. Um, so yeah, would 100% agree. Um, I would say a fun little pairing to that that is very wild as well, but much, much different would be uh, 1977's Haosu, which is a Japanese horror film. It's literally crazy. It's so fun. Um, it's uh, directed by um, Obayashi, I think, and it is super surreal. It's unlike any other film I've ever seen. They combine so much multimedia. Um, it's it's dark. It's spooky. Uh, I think it's a really fun one for October, too, because it's kind of a haunted house situation. Um, but it's also like it's fun, but also messed up because it's so surreal that it makes you feel like you're losing your mind. So if you're in the mood for a fever dream, would highly recommend this. Um, and uh, there's just nothing like it. So you have to see it. I have seen that movie, actually, surprisingly. Maddie, did we watch that together at Carlos's like four years ago? I might have made y'all watch it i also it sounds um, like that was the narrative (laughs) (laughs) i I also um i got to see it at um laurel hearst theater like a few years ago Mm. and it was like one of my favorite like theater experiences was seeing that there so if you can find a screening also i feel like portland is one of those places that Mm -hmm. like will sometimes have screenings of places something like that hasu is Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I'm gonna go bang on Laurel Hurst's door. Like, where is it? <laughs> yeah. When are we bringing it back? Yeah, bring back the olds. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, House Two is streaming on HBO Max, and oh, yes. Prom Night Two is on Tubi, so that one's free um, okay. with weird little ads. But yeah, <laughs> it's worth it. Accessible, accessible films. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of accessible f- films, where can folks find your work? Yeah, so you can find all of our stuff on our website, monstrousfemfilms.com, but Fanatico is streaming on Alters platforms. Uh, Camp Calypso you can find on our Vimeo, and uh, obviously our future films will be on our websites as well. And our Instagram is monstrousfemfilms. Our Twitter is monstrous underscore femme. My social media is under Hannah May Film. 
Yeah, and um, I'm at Python Patsy on all platforms, so Instagram, Twitter, the works. Oh, Emma, you should talk about your podcast too. Oh, I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) What What are you talking about? Um, Yeah, I host a feminist horror podcast um, that looks at horror through the lens of costume design. Uh, We analyze characters sort of through a feminist lens and through kind of what they wear and pick it apart that way. Um, And my lovely co-host is Jolene Richardson. Uh, She's the costume designer on The Last Drive-In and now is doing a bunch of fun up and coming things. Uh, So I'm very, we're recording this week. So I'm kind of like, please tell me what up and coming things you're talking about. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's, it's super fun. Our, let's see, I believe our Twitter is die podcast and that's D Y E. And then our Instagram is to die for podcast. Um, And yeah, that's a, that's just like a little fun punny name. You know, we were like inspired by Rit die. We had to do it. Um, And yeah. That's a that's my podcast. <laughs> I've done a yearly writ die of the blacks, you know. I oh yeah, that. you gotta you gotta do it. Um, yeah, we have a fantastic um, logo designer for to die for is one of Jolene's close friends. It is also a costume designer, um, and she did for our logo a bottle of writ dye, but it looks like it's like spilled and it looks like it's blood. And I was like, "You're a genius. We love puns. Can't get enough of them." Uh, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. It's a fun little thing I, I do on the side. <laughs> I love that. I feel so sad that I, um, unfortunately didn't know that before. I would have like loved to have chat more about to die for, but thank you for plugging it. I'm oh my excited God, yeah. to check it out. Um, anytime, anytime. <laughs> anytime. I'll plug anytime. <laughs> Shawnee, do you have anything else for us? Mm, no. Okay, you can follow us at QBT Pod <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter. Um, please don't forget to subscribe and share. Don't forget to please, please, please check out Monstrous Fem Films. Thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. Thank you to um, Carlos and Kiana for our digital footprint. And big, big, big thanks to Ali Kiltz, our hidden angel producer baby. We love you. Um, Always lurking. Happy Halloween, babes. Excited to <laughs> excited to like bring in November and... Um, this closer sucks. Happy, <laughs> happy October. It's been a long day. Mm-hmm. Try to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs>